On this particular Sunday, I typically avoid uh, having a full-blown memorial service or Sunday, and I probably shouldn't have done that in the past. I typically start to remember the, the Christian heroes, and, and I think that there's reason to do that. But this particular Sunday, I just have felt led of the Lord to, to really take a moment and honor the memory of the men and women who have served our country in, uh, and, and have uh, fallen in battle. I don't know if you've ever been to a military funeral. I hope someday that you'll have the privilege of being to a military funeral where someone has lived their full life and now has come to the end of their life. <clears throat> and there's this point in the ceremony, excuse me, there's a point in the ceremony when the soldiers who have taken the flag and meticulously folded it into a triangle shape and uh, walk over to the nearest of kin and they hand that flag to the loved one with the words that nobody ever wants to hear. No one wants to hear these words spoken in their hearing, especially when it comes to their son or their daughter, their husband or wife, father or mother. But the words go something like this, on behalf of the President of the United States and a grateful nation, please accept this flag as a symbol of our appreciation for your loved one's honorable and faithful service. The part that particularly grabs me, because most people in that moment, they understand that no matter who happens to be the president at that time, that, that person is the commander in chief. And yet on a military level and basis, those words just kind of go right past the family member. What the family members typically hear is on behalf of a grateful nation. And I think that it would be a shame that any time when someone receives that flag that they would ever doubt that those words are true. I think that it is important for us to always stay and be a grateful nation. I think that the freedoms especially that those who are in the faith community, those of us sitting today in a church building or those watching a church service, uh, particularly it should be of interest to us that our religious liberties, our religious freedoms continue to exist. And people have paid with the ultimate sacrifice or price, as they say, to defend these freedoms. I'm always moved and humbled by those words on behalf of a grateful nation. And I'm gonna ask you this morning that you and I would just take a moment of silence and be a grateful nation inside this room. On behalf of the men and the women who have fallen in battle defending this country, could you stand with me Close your eyes.
for a moment of silence. Father, help us to ever be a grateful nation. For our enemies are real. The loss of soldiers are real and irreplaceable. So help us to ever be a grateful nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'll never forget in the year 1999, I believe it was November, and then I was back again in the year 2000. I was at Ru to Russia and visiting services and hearing Christians requesting prayer for their soldiers. And they had just recently had a horrible accident, the Kursk submarine that went down with all those men on board and they were trapped and they could not rescue them or whatever the story really is. They were not rescued. And I remember hearing Christians in Russia who not many years before were a silent but real threat to our country in a time that we called the Cold War. And I remember hearing those moms and dads requesting prayer for their soldiers. And I remember going to myself, God help us if we ever forget our soldiers as Christians defending our freedoms. In 1974, I, June, I graduated from high school. In July 1974, uh, there was still compulsory draft and I went down and signed up because I had to. There was a there was a forced draft. We're still in the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War ended in 1975, so I had one year of sweating bullets that I might be chosen to serve in this country. And during that time period, the conflict was so convoluted and deadly and kind of run by Congress and not really generals in the battlefield and wasn't even declared to be a war for so long that it was a very, very unpopular time. And I feel just a weight of responsibility and burden because so many of those men and women who did not choose but were drafted, conscripted into the military did not return home. And the ones who did return home did not return home with honor. And so somehow, some way, I wish that we could go back in time and honor 
the men and women who served in the Vietnam conflict because they had no choice. Now today, our young men and women live without fear of being conscripted into the military. It's an all-voluntary military, which makes it even more important that we honor the men and women who serve us and serve our countries because they chose to do that. Let me tell you a secret. I have noticed that most of the men and women that I have met that have gone into the, in the military who have chosen to do so and chosen maybe even a career of the military are people who are very special. They have a unique quality. It's usually a very strong justice component. And God be praised that we have people who have a very strong justice component, both at home and abroad. If a nation ever forgets her heroes, it will be unlikely that she will raise any more heroes like them. So on this Memorial Day weekend, may we be found remembering these heroes. And the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we appropriately remember heroes? How can we do that appropriately? And I want to just first of all be clear about who these heroes are, because we're living in a time where the word hero is being thrown around pretty easily, but um, I want to make sure that we understand on Memorial Day weekend exactly who the heroes are that we are honoring. First of all, they are soldiers who died in the service of our country. Uh, we have a Veterans Day, and thank the Lord for that. We have other times to, to honor our military and those who serve there or who have served there there, but these are specifically men and women who have died in battle, in conflict. That's what we're supposed to do this weekend. So this weekend when, you know, if the temperatures ever warm up again, remember it was just Wednesday was summer, right? And, and then all of a sudden we're back in fall again or something, I don't know. But if it warms up and tomorrow we have a picnic or whatever, while you're having your picnic, please take a moment and understand why it is we stop on this particular weekend. They're not only soldiers, but there are 645,000 men and women counting just since World War I. So Arlington Cemetery was built to house all of the fallen men and women in conflict in the Civil War. That's where it started. Now it's a national cemetery. But it started with the costliest war we ever had, which was a civil war. And may God help us to never, ever have another civil war. It's still the most costly war. But from World War I until um, Iraq and Afghanistan, all through these years, the conflict to this date, there have been recorded 645,000 men and women who have died defending our country. These men and women are also medics and nurses. Too many medics, too many nurses. There, there was a Geneva Convention and there was a decision about rules of engagement but so many times 
those rules have been ignored. And medics have not just been avoided in the conflict, but they've been targeted in conflict. Many medics, many nurses have died. These heroes also are the ones that I mentioned a moment ago from Vietnam, perhaps the least celebrated heroes ever to live in this country. But more importantly than all of that, these men and women actually are always someone's son and someone's daughter. And I think that moves me very deeply. They're always someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's husband, or someone's wife, and certainly someone's father or mother. I want to just stop for a moment and just uh, point something out here, that if we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, our mind, and our strength, if he sets the standard for what loving him looks like. In other words, if God says, okay, I will show you and demonstrate what ultimate love looks like. Not only is it patient, not only is it kind, but it requires sacrifice. And so God sets the bar, sets the standard very high, and he gives us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And that's the real reason that we gather today is because of that. But I want to take a moment and just say, when you think with me, if you will think with me, that God actually never requires us to love him with our sons and our daughters. God never asks us to sacrifice our sons and daughters. And if that's true, then where did these 645,000 people since World War I that we have buried or have not yet been buried, where did they come from? See, there are sons, there are daughters. They are, it's this country who asked for your sons and your daughters. Please remember that. God is not asking for your sons or daughter. We'll talk about what God is asking for in just a moment. It's a nation. It's our nation that asks for your sons and your daughters. So, at the minimum, that nation needs to remain a grateful nation, a grateful people. Although soldiers are a very special breed of Americans, they're always someone's loved one. Before they were our heroes, they were someone's loved one. If you go to Romans 13, in Romans 13, he tells, Paul tells us as a part of his gospel that he is presenting and it's not a, an addendum. It's not a tag on. He's actually saying, don't for a minute think that since God has rescued us from sin and from death and from even the law, Mosaic law, don't think for a minute that we are advocating lawlessness. 
Paul would be advocating that we be a people of laws. And that's one of the things that makes good nations good is when they become a people of laws. And if you violate those those laws, then there's consequences for that. And sometimes those consequences require that you have a police force or that you have a military to back up that constitution and those laws. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That when our country says that we're going to be a people of laws and we're going to have to abide by them. And if you break those laws, there's consequences. When, when that begins to happen, then you have to say, someone has to police that. Someone has to protect us. Someone, in other words, if, unless you and I are going to just go out in the backyard and shoot it out and solve our differences, there has to be a police force. You pick up the phone, you call them and say, someone's broken into my home. What do you do when an ideology breaks into your home? How do you protect a nation from a philosophy or from an ideology? And I just want to remind you, um, a year ago, the Voice of the Martyrs put out a pamphlet that I tried desperately to get copies of because I wanted to get it out because a year ago, there was a lot of talk about communism but in this pamphlet, it was, it was not addressing communism as a political ideology, though it's that. In fact, if it's anything, it's a religious ideology. And really, the correct phrase is a atheistic communism that has been a scourge on the earth and needs we need to be aware of or wary of. Our flirtation with it is like a lot of countries because of economics or whatever, you know. But in this particular article, uh, the writers from The Voice of the Martyrs said, would you please understand that communism is not dead and we'll give you the proof of it. And then they begin to tell you about all of the Christians who have been martyred uh, under communism and the philosophy and why it is what it is. By the way, that pamphlet is now available for download, so I've downloaded them and copied them for you. You can get um, a copy on your way out. I actually would urge you to read them, and I would urge you to have conversation with your children, no matter what their age is about. That. So what if an ideology is trying to break into your house? Then that's when the military is called into play. So if we know who they are, these are those special people, they're our sons and our daughters, they're husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, then, then the question is how do we appropriately remember them? How do we remember heroes who have fallen? After we remember who they are, then we need to talk about how to remember them. And I think that anyone who has lost a loved one and I remember the first loved one that I lost that had such an impact on me. Certainly there were more that had died in my life, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't impacted like this until my grandfather was killed uh, crossing the road uh, to, to get his mail. 
My grandfather on my dad's side was one day crossing the road to pick up his mail. His, uh, he lived out in a rural county or uh, village, and, and uh, uh, they had the mailbox across the street, across from the house. So as he had done for many, many years, he got, uh, got himself ready and looked both ways and crosses the road. And uh, he was uh, run over by a car on the wrong side of the road that was driving too fast. And a uh, person lost control and hit my grandfather and killed him. That was a very difficult loss. My first that I really, the first one that really impacted me. So I'm going to just tell you what I learned all the way back then. Anyone who's had a loss, one of the things that you desperately, desperately long for is that somehow the whole world could just stop for a moment. Like, how dare you? On this day when we are burying our loved one, how dare you exercise yourself in commerce, go to school, go to work, go to the market, do all those things that we do. Unless there's a pandemic. I mean, you know, the things that we should be doing, we are doing, and somehow, some way, you just wish that the world would stop for a moment. Brothers and sisters, this is that day, this is that weekend, when the world ought to stop for just a moment and remember the heroes who have given their lives for our freedoms particularly our religious freedoms. I believe that one of the best ways to honor them is if we could just pause for a moment. How about this, at a minimum, tomorrow, if we are picnicking, if we are celebrating, and God forbid, I, I can't imagine any of us wanting to just go get drunk and party. That's no way to celebrate this weekend at all. But aside from that, if before you eat your hamburgs and hot dogs before you do your ribs on the grill and things. Before you sit down, as you sit down and you start to eat, just take a moment and thank the Lord. Not only for the food that he's given, but for the country he's given and for the people who've given their lives for it. If we could just stop for a moment. I think that those who have lost loved ones, and don't kid yourself, it's still happening even today. Bodies are still arriving at, uh, at the airport. So, if we could just pause for a moment and remember them, I think that would be helpful. I think that it would also be helpful if we paused for a moment and remembered their families. So the, the soldier lost his ability to live life on the planet, but the family lost the ability to hold them, to hug them, to love them, to cherish them, to spend holidays and birthdays together with them. So if we could just honor their families, I think it would be fitting if we could just whisper a prayer for whoever might be grieving today because they have lost a family. Before I give you one last thought on that, I just want to say that um, 
Joni uh, Schenk, uh, now working for uh, our local uh, representative of the 88th uh, District, uh, Cheryl Delosier, um, invited me to come to Cheryl's um, yearly uh, picnic and recognition of uh, our veterans who are alive. And uh, so she sent out all these invitations, invited all these people to come, and I was invited to come and to bring an invocation, and, uh, and then a benediction. And um, you know, it was interesting, it was two weeks ago, and uh, to see aged men and women in the attendance and their loved ones there with them. And at this one particular point, they call out the names of all the people that are on their roster from our county uh, who have been invited. The ones who stood were notable. The ones who didn't stand were even more notable. My suspicion is, is that COVID has wiped out a generation of elderly men and women who served in the military in years gone by. Which, by the way, my, I told you, my generation is the Vietnam era. So, so those Vietnam veterans, which is uh, the most recent um, war involving... Uh, traditional tactics until we went to uh, the Gulf War and moving into a different uh, arena of fighting. The Korean War and the Vietnam War carryovers or leftovers from the uh, World War I, World War II, stuff that didn't get solved then. And uh, so those men and women are the ones who are now your congressmen and your senators. World War, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Vietnam era men and women. So they hated that war and many uh, dodged it, many opposed it, many rejected it, and many of those people are now in places of governance. And it's always wonderful when you find someone who is of that era and of that age that is in governance and they're not angry at the Vietnam War and the price and the cost. You know, I wish to God that we could find a way of solving conflicts without ever going to war. But I do think that when beyond your control or my control that these conflicts happen and these bodies come home that we would say on behalf of a grateful nation. We would keep saying that. What else can we do? I think the thing that is probably the one that can make the most difference in this world is that you and I would take the posture of a soldier and the tenacity and the training and the equipping and the willingness to lay our lives down 
And we bring that all together with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would do as Paul admonished us to do in Romans chapter 12. He says, I urge you then, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that you do not be conformed to this world, but that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I would like to read it from the New King James translation of the Bible. I think in New King James translation, I studied it so long, I sort of think in that language. And he says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the point that I would like to make is that the Christian's calling is actually the same as the soldier's, but it's, it's under the banner of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that he has given us that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. You remember I said that God never asks for your sons, he never asks for your daughters. What does he ask for? The reasonable thing that he asks is that you live your life. You live under these freedoms. You live with these things that have been given to us that we have inherited and that you live with them responsibly, honorably, that you do not waste away or fritter away your inheritance, that that has been given to us. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that within a generation, everything that you hold dear and true, all the Judeo-Christian values and ethics in this last generation, it had us all come to be questioned, to be uh, questioned, to be scrutinized, to be ignored, to be disdained. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ is becoming the spiritual version of uh, the Vietnam veterans who've returned home. We're the ones that, that the world wants to spit on. We're the ones that the world wants to sneer at. We're the ones that the world wants to reject. And yet the message and the hope that we carry is exactly what this world needs. So... It's hard work, and I will not compare myself to someone who has given his life in service of the country, but I believe that you and I, it would be reasonable, a reasonable act of worship that we present ourselves daily to God. We give ourselves to Him. I believe that you and I, of all the things that we're called to do, the most significant thing that I have learned that this faith that I have, this faith that was deposited me in me from my grandfather and grandmother to my mother and my dad and now into me, this faith that I have been given, that has been protected, that has been preached, that has been declared, that has been 
preserved down through the years that I not drop the faith in my generation, in my hour, in my age, but that I present to another generation a radical faith that is alive and burning with the passion and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, fueled by the fires of the Holy Spirit and convicted by the Word of God that truth never changes, that truth never, ever changes, because if it's true, it is true. It's not my truth, it's not your truth, but it's God's truth. And Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said that he will always be the same, yesterday, today, and forever. So while the culture around us is shifting and the culture around us is changing, I am absolutely uh, encouraged by the Spirit of the Lord that is pricking our hearts and saying something's got to change, something has to give. And so I believe that the Lord is calling up a host of people who won't necessarily have to die for their faith, but who will live for it. And when necessary, love our lives not unto death. I shared with you a couple of months ago, it would have been last year, so it's more than a couple of months ago, I had had a dream, and in this dream I had seen, somehow I was privy to like looking into someone's house. That's not a nice house. It wasn't a beautiful house. It wasn't a, a gorgeous house. We're not talking about a 200 or 300,000 or upward house. We're talking about a rundown old house. And somehow I was privy to see the aftermath of uh, an incinerated body. Someone had incinerated a body in this dream. And I saw pieces of skull, pieces of bone that had not adequately burned up. So whatever the furnace, it was not such as if you had a loved one cremated. This is like what someone might try to do to get rid of a body. As soon as I saw that, I instantly knew I had information that needed to be responded to. I told Judy about it in my dream, and the two of us agreed together that there was only one course of action that would be proper and that would be that we would notify the authorities. And I remember that even notifying the authorities created a fear in me that somehow, some way, there could be a consequence and someone could threaten my life. 
And it made me go through this thing of like, you know, how do I protect my wife? How, how is it that a man protects his home? For some of you, it's real easy. It's like, you know, just get more guns, you know. You have sufficient guns, it really does level the playing field. I actually have one. You gave it to me. This is one of the most unusual pastor's appreciation gifts I've ever received. <laughs> then COVID hit. I really need to get it out and get it uh, shot in here one of these days soon. I grew up with weaponry and all that sort of thing, and I just never made it a priority to buy or sell or to store. Um, but this thing of how do you protect yourself? Well, there's a couple of extremes. One is you arm yourself more. The other extreme is you trust God completely and implicitly and uh, become a pacifist. I'm not actually demeaning any group. I, I, it's, to me, it's one of those issues it's not easy to answer. Uh, I know that I'm a bodybuilder, you know, I build up the body of Christ, you know, but I'm not really a big man, you know, to like take down other big men. And uh, I guess it would probably be wise for me to have some kind of security and protection. All I've got's a dog, you know. And most of the time, she's worthless. She's just, she loves, she's just a lover. She's, she hugs me, which I freely accept you can hug me after the service if you like Judy hugs me my dog hugs me how do I protect myself and you know in a well-ordered society there's a group of people who do that for us we call them the policemen the sheriffs the deputies, and the soldiers. They protect our house. In my dream, I went to the authorities. I told them what I saw. They took down the information. They were gone, and I didn't hear anything more from them right away. But then, after time, they came and reported back to me and they said they had set up a sting and they were able to find and to capture the people who were responsible. And then they said something that chilled me to the bone. They said, Pastor Rich, it's not just in your community. This is all throughout all of our communities. There is an establishment of these and the authorities called them death houses. And I have been pondering that dream and praying it. People have given me thoughts and stuff, you know. But this morning, I felt like that the Lord cracked the door just a little bit and I got a little glimpse in there when in Luke chapter 11, Jesus warns, Jesus warns his disciples that these 
hypocrites, he called them. They were the religious leaders, religious rulers, some of them Pharisees, some of them scribes, some of them lawyers, that they were like a whited sepulcher or they were like a place where dead men's bones were buried and no one knew it and people could walk over them. And then he began to talk to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven is corruption. I believe that there is a corruption that is in our world that is affecting every major institution. And the only antidote is the church of Jesus Christ being holy and completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and his principles, living as living sacrifices. There is a corruption that has crept into houses of worship, places of government, certainly militaries and police. I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you that whether it's my house or the White House or whether it's the church house, corruption needs to be rooted out and purity needs to sweep through the land. And I call on the Lord Jesus Christ to remember the men and women who lived in a much simpler time and served this country honorably to protect our freedoms and now it's our watch, now it's our turn. Now it's our time. This faith that has been given to us, we must give to another generation without corruption. Would you please stand up with me? Our country asks us for our sons and our daughters. They ask for our best and our brightest. And those soldiers must be willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. But I remind you, God doesn't ask for your sons or daughters. He asks that we present ourselves and that we live as living sacrifices. And that's considered reasonable. Not ultimate, but reasonable. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ wants to purify his bride. Let's just start there. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to deposit within each and every one of us a, you know, a, a return to the value of human life. How precious, how sacred is human life and human blood and human sacrifice. How valuable our, our children, our sons and our daughters, our husbands and our wives, our fathers and our mothers. How valuable human life is. We need to cherish it. We need to protect it. We need to defend it. But most of all, we need to live it in a way that shows the world that America's best days 
are not behind us. And that curious bond between a nation who decided that we have rights that are under God, that are inalienable, that dream, that desire to create a people who would rule themselves by elected officials and abide by the laws that we appoint and agree to. That that kind of people have as its underpinning a Judeo-Christian value and ethic because without that, the other things won't work. They won't last. And I feel like that America is unraveling at her red and white streams, seams. I feel like that the red, white, and the blue is unraveling. I feel like that in this country that we consider to be home, that somehow, some way, corruption has crept in and at the very fabric, at the very fiber of it, um, there is, there is not just corruption, but a loss of strength. We're not holding on to one another. We're not holding on to the values that were given to us. A generation ago, people might disagree with accepting Jesus, but they honored and respected the Bible and the people who tried to live by it. They honored and respected the, the value of a vow and of an oath and of a covenant. They understood that. They understood the value of keeping faith. And even if they didn't embrace the faith, they didn't want to lose it. They didn't want it to go away. Let me tell you something, that the world that we live in today would love to wake up tomorrow and the church would be gone and all restraints and constraints that come with the fabric of the moral fiber that comes from the church of Jesus Christ, they would love to see all of that go away. And they'd love to see that, that, our, that we would forget the people who died for these freedoms, that we'd forget all of that, we'd let all that go. They'd love to wake up and say, it's all gone and now we can do as we want and become lawless. But I feel in my spirit that today is not the day. This is not that day. This is not that day. God is raising up his church. He's raising up his bride. He's dealing with you. He's dealing with me. He's going into the deep places. He's finding the dead men's bones. He's finding the corruption. He's finding where it's not any longer a living sacrifice. It's a dead sacrifice. It's not uh, something that is alive and vibrant with the spirit of God, but something that is dead and cold from religion God is dealing with that therefore I know that he is dealing with you I know that he is dealing with you because he is dealing with me 
And I'm going to tell you as the pastor of this church that God runs everything through my heart first. And what I feel here today is wonderful. What I sense today is amazing. What God is about to do is absolutely incredible. But there is a cost between here and there. There is a price between here and there. And somehow it involves us looking back and remembering those who came before us and never forgetting. It should be honorable to serve in this nation's military. It should be honorable to serve as a policeman. It should be honorable to serve as a representative. It should be honorable. But I looked out across that sea of men and women at that Memorial Day celebration and I wondered if that was the last honorable generation left on planet Earth. And I pray to God that it's not. I pray to God that it's not because we're losing them. They're slipping from our fingers. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, here today, in this moment, in this hour, Lord, I pray with all the conviction of a revolutionary, with all the conviction of a prophet, with all the conviction of a pastor, with all the conviction of a man of God, I pray today, hear our cry, heal our land, Restore the church. Restore the honor and the integrity of a nation so that we can again hold the flag high and say, this flag represents not just those who died, but it represents those who are living sacrifices, who live under God, as one nation, indivisible, with justice and liberty for all. For Christ's sake I pray. Amen.